I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Everything that has happened to you, to Hannah, to Janine and the others, to those poor Marthas, all of it, you're responsible. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take a shift a little bitty eye over me. Your fault, your choice. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hi. Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hi. And Haiti Island, Channel Manager for SBS On Demand. Hi. Hello. So, we have just watched Episode 3 of Season 4 of The Handmaid's Tale, which is called The Crossing. This one is written by Bruce Miller and directed by Elizabeth Moss. Perhaps you've heard of her. It was lovely meeting you, June Osborne. What a doozy this one is. So, captured in Gilead, June faces a vengeful Aunt Lydia and endures a torturous interrogation. You wicked, wicked girl. Nick and Lawrence collaborate to protect June. You owe me. You can't save her. And in Toronto, Luke struggles with how to help June and Hannah. I can't ask God for something that she didn't want. <laughs> that, that's a very bare bones <laughs> synopsis of what goes on in this episode. <laughs> um, and how are we three episodes into this season already? But anyway, uh, around the room, quick, what stood out for you? Haiti, let's start with you. Is anyone's standout not going to be... Nick and uh, June <laughs> on the bridge at the end. That was my standout. <laughs> totally. But, you know, arguably not the, the biggest moment of the episode, but, oh, that was great. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I would like to get into that scene. Um, yeah, the, a bit to unpick in that. Minor thing, was it, did anyone really scrutinise that mask <laughs> June had on at the start? Sort of masks hit differently nowadays. <laughs> Don't they? They really do. You know what's funny is that, like, the mask that she was wearing in previous in the previous season, was actually just covering her mouth but not her nose. And I noticed this mm. time that it's actually it's covering, covering her, her nose. nose. And I'm like, yeah, we have we, we have all experienced masks now. <laughs> we yeah, we totally. now know how to do them. That's hilarious. Exactly. It was a nice heavy twill. It was a good, good um, <laughs> closing at the end of it. Anyway, too much. Um, so, yes, June is in a mask and it, it's picking up from the end of uh, episode two. She's in the van. Nick drops her off. But he's, of course, delivering her to old mate Lydia and saying that he wants her to tell where the handmaids are because, of course, they've gotten away and they're bound for that safe house from the last episode. But, uh, yeah, Nick in the van delivering to Lydia. That, that, that eye contact was, was quite telling. What do we think? I think it's an interesting episode in the sense that it has both Luke and Nick in it. I feel like we're seeing both of June's men and um, and how they are responding to her in different ways. And they're both are really in love with her. It's funny because my standout moment was actually a line from Luke, which was, June's, June's in prison, prison and we're lighting candles. And we're lighting candles. <laughs> um, which I yeah. thought was just fantastic. 
But yes, that moment with Nick in the van, like, um, it was a lot and and I liked it, of course I did. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really highlighting, um, it's fine, I, I'm finding it interesting to see the difference between Luke and Nick and what their roles are and the fact that like Nick is in Gilead and has to play by Gilead rules and he's in a really difficult position. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, does everyone know that he's in love with her? <laughs> Like, is this obvious to everybody? <laughs> exactly. I was very confused by that makeout scene because how are they being so public? Like, there's other people around. Well, what is going on? Yeah, I got a theory about that, but yeah, um, I don't think it really uh, happened. But <laughs> I think it's in her head. You, but, I did. I wondered if it was a yeah. dream sequence too, because I was like, "This yeah. is crazy. What's happening?" Because the whole yeah, episode totally. very much felt like a nightmare, didn't it? It felt like it had that sort of surreal mm. element to it, going from totally. one nightmarish scene to another nightmarish scene. Um, Especially the Hannah scene, like that felt like I, I feel like I've had nightmares where I can't reach out to my mother, you know, before as a child. Like that, that felt very nightmarish to me. Yeah, the whole episode had this kind of David Lynchian sort of nightmare surrealism thing going on uh, for mm. me while I was watching it. Oh yeah, no, it's just this elaborate series of escalating torture chambers and power games intent on, you know, making her talk um, and just ratcheting up the guilt and the pain um, mm. and. Squaring that blame right on her. <laughs> so considering that it, the whole thing sort of felt like a nightmare, do you think that the bridge scene didn't happen? Like, tell me more. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's your theory then, Fiona? Oh, well, just because it comes at the end, you know, she's suicidal by the end of this being at the torture with, yes. with Lydia. And then, very, you know, she's remade as a handmaid, told she's going to go to a colony that's a breeding colony now. Like, she's back in. Hannah's rejected her. Like, she is at her lowest ebb. <laughs> and then being delivered by the guardians like nick's not on that bridge she's it, i think the fact that it's on the bridge it's between the two mm. worlds and it's a bridge and the fact that he tells her everything she needs to hear at that moment to not jump off that bridge <laughs> like i just think it and also the swirly romantic music and yes. uh, it just it doesn't ring true is it like nick wouldn't be there in front of even if they're sympathetic guardians and the van driver yeah that that's not something he'd risk the swirly camera yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a big romantic moment. That's mm. a feeling. That's not a. That's not a thing. That's <laughs> so interesting because yeah. I was noticing that he was clearly like, that he looked like a groom to me. You know that he is like mm. wearing a suit. <sighs> He's sort of standing under an arch the way that we could see the bridge. You know, she had to walk along the bridge to get to him. It was a really beautiful mm. scene. Had very strong Jane Austen vibes. Also picking up on, of course, um. Janine calling the pig Darcy as well. So I think I've still got Jane Austen in my mind. Um, (laughs) So I can see that if June was going to have a fantasy dream sequence, that it was ticking all the boxes. I think it did happen. And the reason I think so is because a lot of this episode is about how powerful Nick is becoming as a commander in Gilead in this kind of Mm. power vacuum. He is behind this interrogation, pulling all these strings you know, he's the one pulling favours with Lawrence. He's he's the one getting Hannah in that room to get the response that he needs out of June. You know, I think he's becoming so powerful that he can kind of get away with being blatant about this relationship in, in sort of certain spheres and not suffering any consequences. Mm. The yeah. tinge of sadness I, I had with a kiss was that I, I'm pretty sure it was a kiss goodbye. I don't I don't know if we're ever going to see them together again. I don't know if anyone else had that feeling as Mm. well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got that. No. Right. Mm. Well, Lawrence sort of says that to him too, doesn't he? Yeah. That there's a line by the firelight in his house. He said, She is never coming back to you. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's true. And I think the scenes with Luke, sort of, you know, he is he is her husband. You know, he hasn't he hasn't forgotten yeah. about her, and he hasn't <laughs> and he hasn't moved on, and he is being the very best husband that June could possibly hope for. Really, you know, that like he's still fighting for her, raising her baby, and so yeah. For me, seeing both Luke and Nick in this episode and the, and the kiss at the end, I thought, oh, that's it. You know, they've sort of they've sort of given us yeah. that. And thank you very much, creators. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but I think it's done now. Well, that's hard. You got your big pash. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, because her thoughts are with Luke as well when she's in the box. That's oh not my a god, the box. Yeah. To say. But yeah, again, she goes. It's a callback to that of Matthew episode in the hospital where mm. Belinda Carlisle song is um, going around her head. So her thoughts go to Luke as he's burying the green persimmon in the um, in the backyard. Yeah, that's his luck. candle. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess it worked. Maybe in hindsight. <laughs> um, so yeah, her thoughts are with with both her boys in this torturous episode which I mean I guess we have to get into the weeds about all the nasty business mm-hmm. that goes on but maybe I'm getting ahead of myself I, I've walked over the um the stand-up moments Sana what was yours well if if Nick and June are well and truly taken um I think I'm still in shock from that very last scene like I think I'll have to go with the really obvious shock yeah. factor of Alma who I just spoke oh. about in our previous chat about really liking her and now she's gone and you know what actually this episode had me um having this really grim like continuing thought about, well, if I'm in this world, what's the best way to go? What's the least painful way to go? And actually being pushed off of a building, at least that's quick, you know? It's not like being drowned like Eden and, you know, being hit by a train, at least it's quick. It's okay. So Alma didn't feel too much pain in the end, I hope. Anyways. But yes, um, <laughs> I, I think, I think um, yeah, that final scene, that's my standout because I'm just so in shock about that. Yeah, it was a biggie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this one took care of Beth and Sienna and, and yeah, a lot of body count in this one. Okay, so Lydia. Lydia. We, we had that standoff with Lydia that we <laughs> knew was coming. Yes, I'm kind of regretting that I said last episode that I think episode three is is um is going to circle back to Lydia. And, and once we saw <laughs> yeah. her, I was like, why did I say that? <laughs> we don't want a Lydia episode. Yeah. <laughs> 100% same. Um when Lydia turns her back in the torture, you know it's it's not going to a good place. Mm. So in this episode, the forms of the torture, you know, Margaret Atwood always based the Gilead and trauma on true events and Bruce Miller is clearly continuing that tradition because, you know, this one has pretty overt references to American rendition techniques and shades of Guantanamo mm-hmm. Bay and Abu Ghraib and the whole waterboarding and whatnot and they really go to town on June with this uh, lieutenant who comes in to they say to press her for the location of the handmaids. Of course, they want that, but also they just want to punish her because she <laughs> she causes so much trouble in this place. The first stoush with Lydia, the did you think about how I would feel was a curious line. But yes, a very Lydia I picked that up line. too. Think mm. about how I would feel. And I just thought, wow, I think this relationship that Lydia has in her mind with these handmaids, her girls, I think she really is seeing herself as some sort of mother figure for them. Because why would they think about how she feels? Who's <laughs> that about you, Lydia? And how could she possibly think that she would? they would think how she feels? Like how can she believe that, that they would care? Yeah. And so, <laughs> it's a good question. And like, and June picks up on that again later. Like, I think June finally got to have a great moment where the best she's felt in a long time was being able to finally speak back to Lydia and say this was this was your fault. And she and she sort of found 
like a chink in Lydia's armour and she just went for it. Mm. And then like later on she said how easy and quick it was to turn Janine uh, because this is what hurts Lydia, which I find so interesting. I think it's so interesting that we have found like Lydia's sore point. Um, well, it did make me think that, you know, this has to get Lydia thinking more deeply about how alone she is in Gilead. Like, the commanders don't actually back her. Mm. You know, she's completely expendable to them. Her girls <laughs> are not her girls. They don't love her. They don't care for her. Um, so this has got to be starting to churn in her head or has been for a while and perhaps is part of what leads her towards her, you know, eventual role in overturning Gilead. Like, she's utterly alone without allies in this world. How long can you carry on like that without totally losing it? And when June does end up talking, well, you know, she lies to them about where the girls go. Like when, when the torture does come, she makes it look like it's working. You know how she says the girls are in a university library? Um, mm. I don't know, maybe I'm mm. overthinking it, but I thought that was like a veiled reference to the Testaments where Lydia's keeping her notes and <laughs> like the library uh, thing. I don't think. Me, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was in Vermont, but um, yeah, I was thinking of, oh, hang mm, on. Nice <laughs> I'm looking for Testaments clues wherever I can find them. But yeah, I think I'm making them up at this point. <laughs> And so picking up on that line that Lydia said, you know, did you think about how I would feel? That's a variation is how Luke is this episode. Like he's thinking, did June think of me? (laughs) Like Mm. when she made these choices, you know, we're more sympathetic to Luke. (laughs) As are Moira and Emily in the last episode when they're dealing with the fallout of um, the children that she's gotten over the border. Everyone everyone in Canada is kind of, yeah, dealing with the fallout of of what June's done and, and wondering if um, she was thinking about them in the process at all. Yeah. And I think the awful thing is we find out in this episode that um, not leaving was a mistake. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, Mm. Luke is grappling with June deciding to stay. And even as viewers, we can also grapple that and go, why? You know, why would she choose to stay? And so I think this episode is sort of really sort of confronting that one head on. And I think when she asks Lydia, when she says that she's ready to die – I know, Fiona, that you said it's because she's at sort of her lowest emotional moment. But um, I think I took something a little bit different from that, which is that she's now a liability to Hannah. Like, they yeah. will they will, <laughs> they will, will bring Hannah out and they will use her against her and how far mm. will they go? And and as Lawrence says, you know, they, like, they don't care about girls here. <laughs> it's just window dressing, <laughs> you know. And I think she realises now that, like, you know, she couldn't leave because she didn't want to leave Hannah behind. The Like, the idea of getting out and getting freedom mm. and then never seeing her daughter again was just abhorrent to her. But now staying, she's actually causing Hannah harm in a different way, you know. Mrs McKenzie yeah. said she was causing a harm in one way, but now June's causing harm in a different way. So mm. I, I saw her bid for death less as a get me out of this emotional torture and more of a I need to, I need to sacrifice wow. myself now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. That's that's a good read. It's all it's all wrapped up in there for sure. Yeah, Oof, so heavy. <laughs> but- it also it also gives June a reason, you know, to flee now to leave. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So back to June. Her fib is found out, of course. Uh, so they ratchet up the torture. Up to the rooftop they go, and we find Beth and Sienna, the Marthas from the Lawrence's house. You know, as Marthas, they are expendable and they are dispensed with very quickly. June doesn't even get to say. Completely pointless. And uh, other than to prove the point that they can torture June by torturing other people. It was at this point I kind of reflected, why are they keeping June alive? Like, why are they going to this elaborate lengths to torture her? Like, 
she's <laughs> she's always going to try strike back against Gilead. And I guess Lydia answered that in the they need a handmaid, but at what cost? <laughs> mm-hmm. Did anyone else think why are they going to these links? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think for for seasons now, people have wondered how June hasn't ended up on the wall yet. You know, she just has this ma- magical sort of like safety net around her somehow. Um, mm. Partly, I think they take pleasure in the torture that they sort of meet out on her, and being alive is a greater punishment than death. But you're right. At at finally, at what point will that sort of tip over where she's a bigger pain in the ass than she is anything else? You know, and they are like off with you now. Considering that she has a level of notoriety in Gilead in one way if they kill her they could it's almost good PR for them but maybe right now they think having her under control is better PR you know like I'm just trying because I can't fathom it either like why is she still alive she'll be a martyr otherwise Mm. yeah 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 they risk martyring her if they kill her because you know getting those children out has already made her notorious she's causing rebellions all over the country yeah, they're going right. to martyr her. But I think the fact that, you know, she's still trapped in Gilead, she's not in Canada, she still already has this sort of air of a martyrdom around her in Canada. She's still this mythology because mm. they can't actually see her or get to her. So I don't know that that's got to be all that of a huge driver for that because that's still mm. already kind of happening. And and also, like, there's that scene with Luke and, um, you know, the American government in exile, the, the rep there he has the conversation with where she says, we may never know actually the outcome of the trial. Like they could kill her and that may not um, filter through to Canada, which I thought was, you know, another nod to, you know, American policy here of the rendition and, and not just America, like just the, just the policy of um, lack of trial and lack, yeah. of, uh, <laughs> lack of due process here. I was thinking more about the effect killing June would have within Gilead, not outside of Gilead. Obviously, mm. word spread quickly within Gilead that June was involved in the, the children escaping. So I think word would also spread quickly if she was killed off. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I th- I, but that scene where Luke is told that he would likely never find out was also sort of, for me, a reminder of why June stayed. Because if she did leave, it would be giving up ever knowing whatever happened to Hannah. Mm. Which sort of made sense to me to go, yes, this sort of reinforced to me, yes, this is why she chose to stay which sort of harks back to that. Yeah, and it surprised me that um that didn't occur to Luke. I mean, I know he's feeling very sorry for himself, um, but I would have thought, you know, in some way he would recognise that, of course, she stayed back because of Hannah. You know, it wasn't she chose not to be with Luke, it's she chose to be with Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, true. He doesn't mention Hannah in that, at that moment, does he? Doesn't, he doesn't, no. does he? Isn't he's that weird? He's quite fixated on, hmm. on June. Um, I'm sure that scene's coming. <laughs> um <laughs> And then we get that scene with Nick and Lawrence in Lawrence's house and that's the most dialogue Max Minghella has ever had in this show, <laughs> that, that, that scene. Give me more. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, it was very good, you know, that, that's where we get, okay, that's where his head's at and it shows he does love her, whether or not he actually says it to her at the end of the episode or not. But, um, you know, <laughs> he speaks to how June has changed Gilead and has changed both of those men in the room. And then he gets all um, quid pro quo with Lawrence being transactional about you get to keep your house if maybe you do me a favour and try and try and save her. He, he's been watching. He's been yeah. observing these years. What does Lawrence owe him? Well, he, he spared him last episode or in the opening scenes where right. Lawrence was going to be killed and then he negotiated to get him saved. Right, so. right. And get him on the council. Yeah. Um, and if you want to keep your nice fancy house, then you have to do me a favour for June. I really enjoyed seeing Nick flex his power in that way. Because we haven't really seen that he has it in him, you know. Um, it was that sort of switch up that he did where they were just having this nice fireside chat, which was driving me crazy because June's in a dungeon and they're having a nice fireside chat. And I was like, oh, my God, this is infuriating. Um, 
and and Lawrence who gets he always gets the best lines right um so like Nick yeah. says I want her to stay alive and and Lawrence oh, says well, yeah well it's always nice to want things it's always nice to <laughs> want things um but then Nick does that sort of change up where where he realizes he sort of has room to make a bit of a power move and it works and I'm like yeah go for it mm. yeah yeah go for it commander blaine and so he does, uh, but in the meantime, June's in the box um, and that's where the beeps and the drips uh, set her off onto Belinda Carlisle territory again, but then comes out to dinner with Lawrence mm. and he's as smug as ever, um, but that's where the, the bombshell drops that they're willing to hurt Hannah, as you say, Nat, and, you know, in another nod to US politics and politics in general about faux family values, um, he, he calls it for what it is that Gilead would absolutely hurt a child for a power play. It's That, that, that was a good me, scene. Mm. Yeah, and it made me wonder, power to what end? Like, what's it getting now? Like, where where is this, its power derived from and, and what is it winning over now? Because like, it just looks like they're at war with each other rather than sort of anyone else at the moment anyways. Like, what is this? What is the purpose of this power then? Who's benefiting? What's it doing for you? Because it sounds like everyone is miserable except for like five guys in a house somewhere, <laughs> you know? I, I just had me questioning the whole thing. Like, if it's not about children, what the hell is this about? Like, I know it's not about children. We've known that for a while, you know, when they killed Eden mm, and all the rest. Yeah. But what is it? It's funny you say that because um, Bruce Miller actually wrote an article last year which was about power and domination. I'm sorry, I, I'm going to need to reread it, so I, I hope I don't give a false account of it. <laughs> um, but it was, as someone who writes villains for a living, the shocking thing in recent years in America has been seeing people just enact cruelties just because they can. It's not It's not because mm, yeah. you know, villains are always given these like really big sort of like um, ideology which they are following which is the reason why they are causing atrocities and mm. sometimes you mm. know what you don't need the big reason people just want to be cruel and yeah. um and they just they, they just like the feeling of power and they want to enact it on others and then there are those who savvily align with them so they aren't the ones getting hurt so it's it's which is all kind of messed up mm. psychology 100%. and i think that's sort of what um kind of what that conversation was which was like yeah as I said previously, this is all window dressing. It's all just bread, you know, um, bread and and um, babies. But it's not really like it's just um, at the end of the day, it's just it's just men with power, yeah. and that's it, and that's it, and that's all it is. That's just yeah. so sad. Like, uh, you know, to not have a better <laughs> rationale for it. Like, I feel like you know, as humans, we need stories and explanations and all the rest, and that's just such an empty explanation to me. I can't wrap my head around <laughs> well, it. Power but. begets power. The other one that sort of that was sort of brought yeah. home to me was okay. So that like is that. That demon they've got in the base, in, like in the basement, who's torturing people. When they actually let him on a roof, and they should never let him on a roof, um, he says something. <laughs> he says like this sort of like Bible line, you know, like "Thou shall not like steal and lie and something else." And I'm like, "Yep." But you can pull out fingernails and throw people off ceilings. I'm like, I'm like, Ruse? like what? Like it was just. Yeah, there's no quotes about that, so it's okay. <laughs> can we just take a moment to step back and appreciate that, like masochistically glee Uncle Steve Jobs interrogator guy? Because he was yeah. fantastic. Like, what the hell was going yeah, on with him? And grin. What a character! It was yeah, like totally. I was getting with yeah. the with the Steve like, Jobs brutalist. <laughs> The brutalist architecture of that, you know, torture center, um, and then this yeah. like, yeah, gleeful maniac um, interrogator. I was getting like <laughs> Batman Returns vibes, you know, like mm -hmm. it was so 
theatrical and over the top and, yeah. and surreal at moments. I I loved that character. You know what? Actually, he was my standout. Characters <laughs> like that are just giving Skibbies a bad name, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the beige Skibby was a nice touch too. It was so neutral. Mm. And, um, yeah, he was like a smiling uncle, but, uh, yeah, he'll pull your fingernails out and waterboard you. So, yeah, it was... It was. I was thinking that, you know, by the time you're... If, you're, if your organisation has a need for a man with talents like that, you've really made some bad calls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to know what he did in the before time. Oh, backstory. <laughs> backstory of the beige skitty man. Wow. What a crazy night, huh? <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Um... Okay, but then, of course, June tells Lawrence unceremoniously to go fuck himself and then she is confronted with Hannah in the glass cage. And that doesn't go as well as she had hoped and that's an understatement for the ages. To Hannah, June is the scary lady who left her years ago and God knows what she's been told about her in the years between. Do you think Hannah actually knows her at all? Because I was thinking she just... She looked like a woman who was, you know, badly dressed in chains. She looked frightening. Like she, you know, she looked like she. Mm, like I think. Yeah. I think you do raise children to be afraid of people who, um, who look like yeah. criminals. Well, remember they also met briefly at the house when June was heavily pregnant. Yep. They'd arranged that meeting then, and Hannah confronted her and said, "But why did you leave me?" You know, whether or not she recognised her as the the tortured woman in the basement. Not, you know. Sure, that, that's open to um, interpretation. Not sure, but, yeah, they, they, they have seen each other since in those years. Yeah, yeah, I was just, yeah, I was wondering. About, yeah, I, th- I thought Hannah's reaction was probably um, <laughs> realistic. Yeah, but I was wondering mm, yeah. whether she actually recognised that it was June, her mother. So, yeah. I think I think she recognised her, but, yeah, June, June is the lady who left her and June also looked like a ghostly apparition. Like, she did look like complete shit, right? She was terrifying <laughs> yeah. looking. So I think, uh, to me, it was, it was a bit of those two sort of factors. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, Hannah is being brainwashed and, you know, incorporated yeah. into the Gilead ways. And, you know, we know that from reading the Testaments. She's a true believer. She's, you know, converted. So she's along that yep. along that path when we see her here. And I was also relieved to see that she is actually still wearing her kind of light pink Gilead yeah. garb. Yeah, And that shot from the trailer was from this scene but it looked a lot more washed Mm. out so yes I was relieved to see she's uh, not wearing the kind of uh, bride's white linen yet yes 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 yeah happily (laughs) yeah on the timeline she's still she's still a little kid clutching her teddy or rabbit or whatever that was and of course this is June's Achilles heel like Hannah she is the reason that she starts talking she she gives up where the handmaids are hiding out and so we do see that Janine and Alma and Brianna and uh, the rest are found in that safe house. I thought there was some wonderful um, aesthetic decisions in this transition to the Hannah scene as well because for the interrogation process, June's been underground in this red, lit, you know, wombish yep. bunker space and when she goes into the room with Lawrence, the ceiling's covered with these round white lights Mm, that I think are meant to be echoing the lights that are on the balcony or the porch where Luke is sitting in Canada. They're the sort of same round lights there. And then when she comes into the room or the space where Hannah is, all the lights are blue and white and it's sort of this emergence into this in this kind of 
clear space where she's seeing the truth finally that Gilead doesn't yeah. care about children. I thought it was kind of wonderful transition of of lighting there. Yeah. And that, that ceiling, um, you know, above the where they were having dinner, like that was a cage-like lattice sort of pattern on the ceiling as well, like mm. sort of showing them caged literally, you know, in a way. Yeah. So many beautiful touches in this. Lizzie Moss did a great job. <laughs> did she ever? Yeah. No, I think it's wonderful. And, um, you know, in the horror side of things, like you mentioned David Lynch, Haiti, you know, I thought of Saw. Like <laughs> each room yes. is just like a new mm. torture chamber. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a nice nod there back to the Invisible Man that she just made with Lee Whannell, who, who did Saw. Yeah, then speaking of which, it's back to being tortured by Lydia and Lydia comes full circle and gives it right back to June in a bit of a mirror of how the, how the episode opened where June was pushing Lydia's buttons. Yeah, Lydia's back to revealing that she's going to be bound for a breeding colony telling June to buck up, <laughs> don't feel suicidal, she's not going to be killed. She's only going to be sent off to a breeding colony. <laughs> so, Which I think she called like a great new adventure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't know, it strikes me as the worst idea ever for Gilead to put all the troublesome handmaids together <laughs> and then have the commanders pop over once a month. Um, yeah. Like- yeah. And, and Lydia does say she didn't really love the idea as well. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. It is such are the such are the workings of Gilead. It is interesting. There's little revelations that you know, children are so light on the ground now that they they can't afford to kill any more handmaids. So June's being spared, and you know, yep. June finds out that she's inadvertently helped Lawrence by killing off a bunch of commanders at the the country estate Jezebel's because yeah. you know, yep. now commanders they can't are, spare you them. Know, uh, are so thin on the ground that Lawrence is is still needed, so he's kind of getting overlooked for punishment. Yeah, all yeah. fantastic little insights. It's all coming up roses for him. Gilead's going great. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. <laughs> well, it's, keep doing what you're doing, June. In um in the in the in the books, they sort of refer to various purges that there yeah. is that mm. like Gilead would go through a, a purge where a whole bunch of commanders would get killed off and I think there were um, multiple purges over the long reign of Gilead and so I sort of this episode sort of I think at some point someone alluded to the fact that a purge has already happened um I wasn't sure if anyone else picked that up but you know no I didn't when was that who did that okay damn it uh I I can't remember it must have been Lawrence saying something and I and I thought oh a purge is a purge has actually happened well do you mean though that Jezebel's from last week, because he because he says that nine commanders are in hospital and there's others dead, and that that's her actions at the country Jezebel's last week. I'll have to I'll have to go back to it now and um and and re- report back next time. Mm. Um, yeah, I yeah, was just do. wondering because <laughs> you guys are normally better at me at like picking up the finer <laughs> points like that. So um, I thought you might have noticed. <laughs> so maybe I've got it wrong. Purge might be the Gilead sanitizing of um water actually murders. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe bunch of people on the June wall. poisoning a bunch of commanders at Jezebel's is uh, gets called a purge so that Gilead can kind of claim it as mm. their own actions or something. Yeah, 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 for mm. their yeah, simple yeah. behaviour. So they're calling um, it a Magdalene colony. So rather than send them off to the colonies, which, as we know, is a radioactive waste dump, um, it's kind of a hybrid model <laughs> where it's like they're going to toil the land and until time comes for the god-awful ceremony for what uh, Lydia calls a blessed circle of service. So, yeah, rather than spend their downtime causing trouble in their households, they can actually be put to work. So, Jesus, 
uh, was that a Lawrence suggestion, I wonder? Well, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Because um, it does sound like something he would have actually come up with. Because mm. I remember that the women who were sent to the toxic waste dump lands, they were the ones who were still young and fit enough and able enough to be doing that work. Whereas June's mother, I think we saw at some point, and she was sent to a different area where women of her age were instead growing vegetables. Uh-huh. So I wonder if that's the sort of place where June is going. Did we ever find out what happened to June's mum? No, because I still hold that hope that maybe she's still alive. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And I assume we're not going to see Esther again. No, I, we I, we are because she's got a reoccurring role this season. Oh, does is she? What they've said Ooh. so. As far as I understood, um, she'd signed on for a bit more than just, yeah, the first two episodes. I might be mistaken there, but I'm pretty, pretty sure she's got a bit more to come. Is there not mention of her, someone mentions that she's sort of in custody somewhere? Been captured, yeah. yeah. Nick says that at the start. Yeah, so we'll hopefully see her down the track. She did get a big introduction, so yeah, it would be weird to just have everything else off camera. She's a great character and a fantastic performer as well. Yeah, yeah. So then... To prep her for the start of this new adventure, as Lydia calls it, June gets hosed down um, and we see her bruises and her scars as these god-awful robes get put on her again and she dons Mm. the cap and presto, she's a handmaid again. Which kind of felt necessary in the show because it is the handmaid's tale and so far we hadn't really gone back to the handmaid world. So so seeing the red robes again and the white white hat... um, it felt like touching back on to actually what's going on with the handmaids. But what happens yeah. from now, who knows? <laughs> mm, it, it, the, like the opening few episodes have had a bit of a season two echo for me. Like, you know, she was out and then, of course, she got trapped again. She's back in. But she's out again. <laughs> she's on the run. Um, yeah, so then, you know, the bridge scene, I think we've interrogated <laughs> that bridge scene unless anyone else has got more thoughts. <laughs> Love good. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful scene. Don't get me wrong. I just I've got to go back and rewatch it now to, to, you know, make sure that I'm still convinced it's real and not a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's um that it's fake. Yeah, and then the birthmobile. Or is it a birthmobile when no one's pregnant? Not sure, but that red truck. It's shows a handmobile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Um, and it's got Lydia and Alma and Brianna and Janine in it, heading for a crossing. Remember the episode's called The Crossing and oh, yeah. with a guardian who needs to go to the toilet. <laughs> I wondered if he was in like in on it or yeah. something, if he was, you know, for a second I was like, did he plan this? Did he? Yeah, anyways, but I, I don't was, think so. I was thinking that yeah, too. Yeah, I, I think they wonder it too. Yeah. Until he shot one of them and then I was like, mm, no, this yes, was exactly. just, you know, luck. <laughs> a doofus who had to go yeah, pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dumb luck, which kind of goes not to harp on the next thing, but I think like, you know, the, I don't think there's a connection between those. I, yeah, and I think the handmaids were also looking at each other like, is this is this Mayday? Is this a thing? <laughs> yeah, shoot your shot when, um, <laughs> when, when, you, when your driver takes a toilet break. Make the most of that, that very brief time and grab that cattle prod and <laughs> put it to Lydia's yeah. neck. And wow, June really does. You know how we've talked about how like June, or at least I mentioned last last episode, June can sort of leave um, a trail of bodies in her wake depending on her actions. Yep. And it kind of made me wonder, like, you know, that delay where she's sort of um, contemplating whether to use the cattle prod on Lydia and, and Alma comes and says, come on, you dummy, we got to mm. go get the, you know, yeah. miss the train or, you know, cross the train. Is that like, you know, is that slight delay enough to have meant Alma was just a little bit behind and got hit by the train? Like, the, you know, that... I can't, mm. I can't help but have that 
thought. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I love June, obviously, but yeah. you know, Alma was prodding her to come along. Yeah, seeing Alma. Yeah, oh, you snooze, yeah. you lose. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hor- It's horrible to think about June's body count, which is which is still rising. And so when I was sort of thinking about that in this episode, like I was originally going back to the two women who are on the roof, and I just thought. Can't blame June for those two because I think those women were or, yeah. were um, already dead, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Especially because you think if you have the Hannah option, why would you kill two women first if you didn't if you didn't need to? You know. So I think clearly those women were already um, scheduled to be executed, and this way they just got to yeah. mentally torture June a bit in the long run, uh, on the way. Yeah. Um, Agreed. But yeah, this is a horrible thing. You know, in in one way. Luke planting that fruit in the ground, you know, to give June some luck might have actually, you know, we can we can look at that and think maybe that led to her escape. Mm-hmm. But, you know, June's good luck always seems to come at the expense of other people. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the horrible thing about it. That ending was, um, I don't think I've still properly processed it, actually, because it was so brutal yeah. and sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was just saying in, in the last episode that, the tone of those first two episodes was a little bit different and and maybe that uh, Mm -hmm. they'd taken some cues from people tapping out last season because it was too much and then (laughs) the... The uh, the final scene in this episode, I just kind of went, oh no, no, that was wrong. They're they're going there. This is this is really hard. <laughs> well, I think they have to, right? I wouldn't think it's The Handmaid's Tale if it was all yeah. kind of brief. Like you know, it, the first episode, yes, it was an easy entrance back into the season, but to me, it almost was like, hang on, nothing really all that much happened here. I'm confused. Is this yeah. the same show? What's going on? Um, so yeah, you're kind of always bracing for that, hey. And I think I think at the end of this episode, I think what I'm really grateful for is that I didn't actually have to watch a fingernail being slowly extracted because yeah. <laughs> I was covering my face with my hands, going no. <laughs> so they did spare us some torture. Yeah, I mean waterboarding aside. <laughs> but yes, no, um, yeah, there was a shot of her nails after that, and they were they were quite well intact. <laughs> um, yeah, that ending. So, yeah, that, that Guardian, he shoots to kill and, you know, he does get one of the ones at the back and Lydia clearly is screaming, you know, like, I, I don't, A, he didn't need to shoot them but also he didn't need to shoot to kill because, <laughs> because of this shortage of handmaids in Gilead thinking. But, yeah, so June and Janine make it across. So yeah, Janine. Um, and, of course, we knew Janine would because we've seen the trailer. But this episode has used up a lot of those shots from the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so only a handful left uh, that we can use to speculate who's going to be further down the series. And then the very ending is back to the book and back to the Red Centre, the early days, to yes. show the bonds these handmaids have. And that's where I lost it. I had a little, little cry in that bit, I must admit. And... I think it was also the sad chords of the score they use at this. Um, the, I love that score that um, that they play at moments like this. It as they mouth their names to each other in that, that secret code they'd sort of developed to be able to speak in uh, the circumstances where they can't talk to each other. So yeah, I, I just thought that was such a beautiful ending. A nod back to the book and speaking to the handmaids who we just saw. And this this group that you know has been intact since season one, mostly you know yeah. people here and there have managed to escape but like you know yeah. Alma and, and the rest they've sort of, and Janine obviously, have been around since day one. Yep. And then that shot at the end, uh, sorry just before it goes to that, like we do get a bit of a drone shot to look at uh, I was trying to look at where all the bodies were strewn and see if anyone actually survived it but Yeah, same, yeah. same. And you couldn't mm. really see. 
yeah, you couldn't really cut just as it got to Lydia and, and some, some red there. But, yeah, so, wow, that was a biggie. What, what do we make of the direction on this? Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Moss, <laughs> she does three episodes this season, so it's, it's like she does 30% of the season. So she also does a block uh, of episodes eight and nine coming up, so oh, just okay, before right. the finale. And I was part of a Zoom panel when they were launching the season and it was Bruce Miller, Elizabeth Moss and Warren Littlefield. They were talking about her directing this season and I've got a story up at SBS Guide to get those quotes. But originally there were talks to direct in season two, but, you know, they got pushed because, of course, she's executive producing, she's a star, very Mm. (laughs) hands-on in all respects. And then when COVID happened, Warren Littlefield said that you know, they were very nervous in case she got COVID and, you know, they didn't want to kill her for any reason. But, you know, she was saying, I'm working seven days anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm living this show, living and breathing this show. So just I want to direct. So um, obviously with COVID and the lack of other directors probably flying in as well, mm. um, the opportunity was there to do more. So, yeah, I think she's absolutely lunched at it. Yeah, I, I love this episode. It, it's right up there with some of my favourite episodes, I think. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Yeah, I really I really liked it as well. And I always feel mm. awkward when I say I really like an episode and it, and, it, and it features women dying. You know, there's always that awkwardness about that. <laughs> but, yeah, like the, as you said, the score was great. Uh, like uh, all of those all of those weird, surreal basement scenes. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. I think she, I think they all did a great job. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a good episode. Agreed. Yeah, it had a really strong sense to it. I did appreciate the surrealism in this one. Yeah, mm. kind of did. Yeah, did yeah. Uh, kind of that really torturous June psychological journey in a much more effective way than something like the uh, heroic episode uh, from last season where she's in the hospital with off Matthew. Did. I think this was much more successful. Yeah, but I think that's also because there was a lot of plot action here too. Like it wasn't just the psychological internal yeah. stuff. It was there was actually a lot happening mm. as well. Whereas that yeah. hospital scene, it was kind of it was the samey samey for an hour, and you're like, oh my god, make it end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I think we don't get to this one without that one because it you know nods back to it, and it, it yeah. that was all part of her realizing, uh, you know. That there's more to this and now I'm starting <laughs> to understand how it all works. But, yeah, I, yeah, wrapped up together, I, yeah, I, I would take this one. Um, so where to from here? You know, Janine and June are on the run. Uh, I don't um, know. Are they out? Are they in? Are they free? Are they not? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell anymore. Such big kind of ties severed in this episode with kind of the, yeah. the severing of her, of the hope that she has in Hannah and Hannah's kind of immunity and you know, yeah. potentially the the severing of her contact or relationship with, with Nick in that possible farewell kiss. Mm. And then, you know, the, <laughs> the severing of the handmaids who have been together since day day one. You know, it's just it's just Janine it's- and June now. Oh. Yeah, because I, I wonder about yeah. that too because, like, the show was great when June gets to interact with all these characters and I think that's what we had in this episode, you know. Like, she she got to interact with Lydia. She got to interact with Nick. She got to interact with Lawrence. Yeah. And even um, Hannah as well, as well as um, Handmaids. And now, now what? You know, <laughs> like, it's, we're now <laughs> heading into this other realm where it's just her and Janine. So who will she be interacting with? And I can't imagine that it's any of the regular characters. So... Um, Friend Serena. Yeah, I like to think there's a reunion coming with, you know, everyone that's mm. in Canada now. Mm. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because we didn't go, we had, we didn't see any Fred and Serena this episode. So, that, you know, I think we'll end up there next one. Because um, also Fred 
hasn't had the happy news yet. <laughs> he no. doesn't know he's he a baby hasn't. daddy. <laughs> Can't wait so, to see his reaction. Someone mentioned last episode that um, what if maybe Rita ends up testifying against yeah. um, Serena and um, I just forgotten his name. How about Fred? Um, anyway, Fred. that would be amazing. Like, I really hope that. I really hope that happens. That's that. That's a sort of reader storyline I am here for. Yeah, I second that. Um, all right. Well, I think I think we've well covered uh, episode three. So thanks for listening. We we hope that helped. We're off to bury some green persimmon in the backyard. <laughs> um, <laughs> seems to do the trick here. So look, thank you to my co-hosts uh, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hambly, and Haiti Island. And thank you for listening. It is so good to be back. And um, we'd love to know what you're thinking as you're watching this new season along with us. So do reach out on Twitter uh, to tell us what you're thinking. And remember to use the hashtag EyesOnGilead so that we can find it. We'll call out some of your best tweets um, along the way. And you can find me at anything but Fifi. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Haiti, where can we find you? At Haiti Island. And Nat? At Natalie Hambly. So we will be back to recap episode four of season four when it drops on the 6th of May. And uh, thereafter, new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale season four um, will be here when they premiere every Thursday on SBS and at SBS On Demand. And also this season, if you speak other languages or if you know someone who does, SBS On Demand is also subtitling the series in... Haiti, this is your territory. What languages um, is the series going to be subtitled in? It will be subtitled in simplified Chinese and Arabic. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And while we have you here, feel free to leave some feedback and give us a rating on the podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. So across this season, if you just can't get enough of The Handmaid's Tale and you want some more coverage, um, head to SBS Guide where we've got some recommendations for other things to watch as you await the next episode. And as I mentioned, that interview with um, Elizabeth Moss will be available now that you've seen her at work as a director. And um, if you want even more recommendations of what to watch, you might like my other podcast, The Playlist, which I host with Ben Nguyen, and we talk movies and TV shows that are worth your time. Sana, what would you like to plug? Uh, I'll plug my other show, um, All in the Mind. Uh, It's a show all about the brain and behaviour and psychology and the rest. It's on ABC Radio National and all podcasting platforms as well. And Natalie, what would you like to plug? Um, The Voices website, which is sbs.com.au slash voices. Uh, We give a platform to emerging writers of diverse backgrounds. And if that sounds like you, please pitch to us. And Haiti, as channel manager of SBS On Demand, what's something that um, people should watch until we wait till next week's episode of The Handmaid's Channel? Oh, my goodness. Um... (laughs) Put you on the spot. (laughs) I actually have something, by the way. Okay. (laughs) Which is during the recent Easter break, I watched Agora, which is – is that – which oh, yeah. is on SBS On Demand, and that has Nick in it. Well, Max, I should say. <gasps> oh, my God, going straight there. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> I'm going to plug uh, a recent SBS On Demand commissioned uh, short-form series that we've recently launched called The Tailings. It's a wonderful kind of gothic mystery set in northwest rural Tasmania. It's only one hour long, so you can watch it in one sitting and it's it's fabulous. So that's what I recommend. All right. So that's The Tailings and that's streaming at SBS On Demand. Now, look, it's some heavy stuff that we talk about that, that's covered in the show. So if any of the content discussed brings up something for you or for someone you know, 
just uh, be aware that there is confidential counselling and resources and support available via 1800respect.org.au in Australia. It's a fantastic resource, so do seek it out. So Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me, I'm not your property. It's so wonderful being all together again, isn't it, dear? Yeah. <laughs>